WGNS Murfreesboro, W270AF Murfreesboro, W263AI Murfreesboro, Smyrna. The Good Neighbor Network, FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and online at WGNSRadio.com. This is the WGNS Action Line, talking with Rutherford County newsmakers about what matters most to you. Now, your host, Scott Walker. News time right now, 8.20. You're tuned in to WGNS on this Tuesday morning, today, the 19th of May. And with us this morning from the Lane Agri-Park or the Agriculture Extension Service. I bet people call it both, don't they? They do. And, and, and just as a, I guess, a, a point of, of information, we have not been the Agricultural Extension Service for a long time. Oh, good, good. So I got it all <laughs> that, wrong. No, no, that's <laughs> a, folks still refer to it. I still call it the Agricultural Extension Service, but that name was changed well, several years ago. Uh, so, Mitchell, what, what is the official name these days? The University of Tennessee, Tennessee State University Extension. That's, that's a mouthful. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. So, I mean, here it is because we have uh, both uh, both universities represented. Some counties, it's just you know University of Tennessee Extension. But so they shorten shorten the name down in some respects, I guess. But so, UT TSU Agriculture, ex- no, no UT no, TSU no, no. Extension, UT TSU Extension. That's yeah, it. That's it. Yeah. Where's agriculture these days? Um, it's, it's still there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it shows up in a grocery store. So. That's right. That's yeah. right. How does Rutherford County compare, I guess, to other counties throughout the U.S. when it comes to agriculture and, and raising crops for the purpose of selling them and bringing them to the grocery stores? Um, boy, compared to some other counties in the United States, uh, it would be a drop in the bucket. Yeah, uh, be, because you, you, when you think about food in a grocery store, I mean, we we're not we don't grow lots of vegetables that are you know here that are going into the grocery store. Whereas you know you move into other regions of the country, you know, for example, the West Coast, the California region, uh, out there, lots lots and lots of vegetable production. Um, uh, we we don't do that uh, so much here uh, compared to other. You know, counties in, in Tennessee, well, agriculture is, is a, a, a lot bigger impact. But, I mean, there's just more of it. We'll compare it to, you know, Davidson County. There's more food production, you know, crop production taking place here than there is in Davidson County. Or, you know, maybe in Shelby County. Uh, but so, yeah, it, uh, it just depends on what you're talking about. But, you know, in, in Tennessee, uh, from a, a, a crop standpoint, I guess, field crop, uh, row crop, the the western side of the state produces the, the the bulk okay the majority of the corn the soybeans the wheat uh, uh, etc that uh, uh, the state of tennessee produces you know middle tennessee uh, a lot more beef cattle uh, um, than than there is in, in west tennessee of course the topography is a little different there you know flatter uh, uh, larger fields uh, here we've got more rolling ground and so kind of we're in transition in middle tennessee between west tennessee and east tennessee we've got the flat large open expanses in west tennessee you start getting in the rolling hills uh in middle tennessee and as further east you go then you get into the the steep hills uh and more of the mountainous area and so we we have row crops and uh uh, you know animal husbandry animal production livestock production both Uh, and then as you 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 move further east there becomes less crop production and and more uh, uh 
livestock uh, animal uh, uh, enterprises. But, I mean, there's still, you know, row crops taking place uh, in East Tennessee, too. I know, again, Mitchell Moat with us this morning, I, I know we get some crops from other countries that are sent to us and sold in u.s groceries we stores. send stuff to other countries That's what uh, I was we ask. import things uh, from other countries yeah it's uh i mean it's a world market yeah so we're sending stuff right back so every time we see i don't know bananas from mexico we're chances are good we're sending them something well we're not growing bananas here no, we're so not. we're we're <laughs> not growing bananas here in the, at least in the mainland uh, or the uh, uh, continental united states you know we're not growing pineapple and some of those things either uh, but other countries are and and to have you know you think about it um it, is there a season when you go to the grocery store that you that you don't find bananas or that you don't find fresh fruits? Well, they don't all come in. They're, they're not all produced at the same time everywhere in the world. So, you know, that's what makes that possible, I guess, is because, uh, you know, the, the, the climates are different. The seasons are different around the world. And, and so in order to have uh, fresh stuff like that, throughout the year it, it has to come from somewhere else because we can't do it all here you know have you i'm curious have you had a chance to visit some of the other countries in your line of work to kind of see how they do crops how they raise their fruits vegetables and and different animals compared to how we do it here no i have not I, it's got to be quite different in a lot of cases well in some respects um, uh, it, it would be but in many respects um uh, you know there there there's have have been there has been for years and years and years uh you know exchange efforts between countries uh uh and with uh, uh agricultural production experts from the united states would visit other nations and to to uh, assist to uh, uh you know consult with, uh, uh, with with local uh, producers there, with with officials there, uh, you know how they do things in the United States. You know, could you modernize? Could you increase efficiency? Um, in in some countries, uh, there more emphasis or, or more reliance on uh, maybe hand labor uh, than than there are in some places or in predominantly in the United States. Of course, a lot of food that we can you know fresh food that we consume. There's there's still a lot of hand labor involved in that as far as uh, the, the vegetables you know picking the vegetables and so on. And that's something that uh, I encourage people to to think about. You know when you when you give thanks. Uh, uh, prior to a meal uh and you know you give thanks for the food you know thank the folks that that produced it and, and worked and brought it to you because there's a lot of a lot of effort went into it you know a lot of sweat equity there a lot of sweat again mitchell moat from the UTTSU extension service here in murfreesboro and of course there's different ways of farming you know in in tennessee alone there's multiple ways of farming that are seen so, so you know we use the word agriculture and 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 we started off by saying that uh rutherford county compared to a lot of places uh, in the united states would not be a huge agricultural county from a crop production standpoint but there are lots of facets of agriculture i think that sometimes people you know fail to to take into account uh you know all of the uh, uh all, all of the, the the natural playing fields, uh, uh, parks, uh, uh, et cetera, uh, um, athletic fields, and so on. Okay, that that's all agriculture. 
Okay, it's another it's another uh, 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 another segment of agriculture. But the folks that, that tend to those things that uh, uh, you know the science behind it, that's all coming out of uh, uh, the agricultural colleges, uh, universities. That's where the research is done on those uh, on ornamental plants. You know the flowers and the trees and the shrubs. That's all, you know, that, that's agriculture. That's a different segment of it. And then the, 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 maintain, the maintenance of those things, the, the installation of those, um, just as the majority of people don't produce the bulk of the food they eat here in the, you know, inside the city limits of Murfreesboro or inside the city limits of Smyrna, um, a lot of them do not maintain their own uh, lawns and landscapes and so on. But, you know, those are, uh, those are those are plant communities, uh, and, and the, the crops in those cases are those ornamental plants, whether it's turf grass or whether it's flowers or shrubs. And just as there are farmers that are producing the food for those of us that don't grow our own food, then there's there there are folks that are out there that will, uh, you know, take care of those lawns and landscapes on too. So that, I mean that's a segment of agriculture. So <clears throat> agriculture touches. Uh, uh, touches our lives uh maybe sometimes we don't realize it and you know you 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 visit the brewery uh and you sample the craft beer that's agriculture yeah you know know. and food science because where is food science taught it's taught in the colleges of agriculture uh, across the united states and mtsu is is growing with agriculture and changing with agriculture as well you know their uh uh, the fermentation program there uh their their involvement in uh uh, in spirits i guess if you will uh whether it's uh, whether it's wine or whether it's brewed spirits and so on yeah uh in just just the number of i have no idea how many small breweries there are and and wineries within you know the middle tennessee area right here there are that number has increased i don't know exponentially that's probably not that's you know that's probably an overstatement but they have increased a lot well i i know the governor proclaimed may as what wine and and great month in tennessee and i guess this year was the first time he did that i think i don't recall that being done in the previous years uh but gosh there you know there's lots may is for for lots of things you know i think every month has so many different uh, right. uh, things associated with them uh and it's hard to keep track of all of them but yeah may is uh, uh that that proclamation was made well i know in the proclamation i, I printed it out here for you so <laughs> okay well good because i haven't read the proclamation it, word for word it, it said the wine and grape industry is growing a huge growing agriculture sector in the state of Tennessee experiencing 250% growth since 2013 that's that's a lot of growth yeah you know that's uh, what 19 years uh, increased 250% that's wild it is it is I, I'm, I me as a kid looking back I, I never a vineyard was something you know I if I did think of one years ago it would have been well California is a place Napa Valley is a place that's right and, and you think about that it's increased 250 percent well if you didn't have any to start with it doesn't right, take near right. to add as near as many to increase 250 percent but that's not to take away from the fact that there there are a way lot more now than there was you know 20 years ago and, and we have I believe well, two places in the immediate area for growing grapes and for wine tasting, stuff like that. One's out there in Arrington, the uh, Triune area. The mm-hmm. other one, Christiana. Christiana, so, Manchester. Uh, I, gosh, it, I, well, I can't say. I don't, I don't have certain knowledge of this, but it would be, I would not, 
it wouldn't shock me to know that there may be a vineyard in just about every county, you know, here in the yeah. middle Tennessee area or, or a winery. Uh, uh, of sorts, and I'm there's some there's there's something taking place. I bet you in just nearly every county where where spirits are being produced. Yeah, and I'm guessing that you know just like fruit tastes different if you get fresh fruit from, I don't know from from the Dominican Republic versus fresh fruit grown in Tennessee. There's there's a difference in taste depending well, there, on where there, you are. There, there's a there's a difference in freshness too right. because if it was grown in you know if it was, it was grown in South America, well. You know, it's going to take a while to get here, even with the, the speed of transportation today. So, you know, a fresh-picked banana, well, let's not use bananas, I guess, but a fresh-picked apple there uh, is not as fresh as the one you pick here. Or a fresh-picked strawberry there is not as fresh as the one you go out here black and pick or, you know, wherever. Uh, so I'm guessing there's a different taste to Tennessee wine, or there could be potentially, versus wine. You know, the folks that are... Uh, the wine the, connoisseurs. The, the folks who have a palate to discern those things will tell you that there is variation in flavor from different regions uh, of of a given state. You know, like in the Napa Valley, maybe um, some some grapes uh, will taste different. You know, produced there in this part of the Napa Valley, it'd be the same species of grape versus uh, that same grape being produced over here in another segment, uh, and and it varies from one part of the United States to the other. I don't know that. I would have a uh, discerning enough palate to recognize I don't think that, I would. but uh, and after well, after so many glasses, it's going to taste pretty much the same anyway, <laughs> I guess. But um, yeah, so the, the variations and, and uh, that I, I think that has some you know bearing on the, uh, you know why there there are so many because there are differences in in flavors and so on. Again, Mitchell Moat with us this morning from the UTTSU Extension Service, the Lane Agro Park here in town. You know, I'm curious, what about this cotton candy flavored grape that we hear about? You hear some stores, you know, they make a big deal about how we have cotton candy flavored grapes. How in the world do they have that? Um, found lucky. <laughs> well, science uh, is how, how it got there. Uh, you know, they found, uh, d- discovered the things that uh, will will create that flavor, that cotton candy flavor, uh, and and then you know in, in, included them in in the grape. Uh, so it comes out with that flavor. It's it's like grape. There there was a grapple. It was a, a an apple that had a grape flavor uh, and a grape aroma associated with it. I I tried the cotton candy grape and it does taste a little like cotton candy, but it, it wasn't close enough to make me say oh, I feel like I'm eating cotton candy. Oh yeah, yeah. It's uh, I think sometimes you do have to use a little bit of imagination. Yeah, yeah. But but it is wild how you know. And I, I'm curious, could they? infuse flavor somehow through technology and understanding the growth pattern and understanding how agriculture works and and all this good stuff you know could they literally change the taste of a fruit i mean to where it tastes just like a candy in this case uh maybe yeah i'm not gonna say you could not i don't know that of course, if you infuse I, I, it, it has, it has, yeah, infusing is different. But then, if you're talking about actually uh, putting the genetics in the plant to, to, to create that flavor naturally, as the as the as the fruit or whatever is growing, uh, yeah, maybe. Uh, boy, there, there's sure lots of th- things have certainly happened in the last you know 50 years that 
we never thought about before so yeah i, I, I would i would not rule that out um you know is that a way to encourage folks to eat more fruit you make it taste like a snickers bar i don't know maybe <laughs> maybe make me want to eat it but what you know what do the snickers folks think about that well dang we don't want to. that's competition right yeah, there exactly again mitchell moat in studio with us right now and uh you know something else i want to kind of touch base on lawn mowing a, a couple of years ago you mentioned how cutting your grass just a little bit higher is better for the grass and so i started doing that a few years back and and noticed that it didn't equal me having to cut the grass more often, nope. but it did equal the grass looking better each time I cut it. Survivability. You know, every every grass species that we use as a turf grass uh, it has been uh, selected, I guess, because over time, th- those different species demonstrated the ability to withstand regular defoliation. Okay, because that's what mowing is. You're defoliating the plant. You're cutting off leaf tissue. Uh, to withstand that regular defoliation and and persist but they also you know demonstrated that they need to be uh, maintained within uh, a a, a height range in order for them to consistently do that uh, on a long-term basis so every grass species that we use as a turf grass has a you know a prescribed mowing height range that you ought to stay in Uh, and when you move to the to the taller okay the higher of those mowing ranges uh you you're doing a few things number one you are uh you don't remove well if, if you mow as regularly as you should and, and the goal of mowing you know in a perfect world when you mow it you're you're going to to remove no more than a third of the length of the grass blade at a time because mowing does cause stress but but if you're not removing more than a third of the blade at a time it minimizes the stress it allows the plant to recover much faster and go back to you know growing new leaf tissue to catch sunlight to make its own energy versus relying on stored energy uh, out of the root system which it would have to do if you removed a greater percentage of leaf tissue because it takes longer to regrow that so it keeps the plant in a good growing condition it keeps it more vigorous that's one reason uh, to to follow that rule, but also if you're if you're doing that, okay, if you're doing that and you're mowing as regularly as you should, and you you mow it just on the high side of the range, so you got a lot more leaf tissue, you have more biomass on top of the ground, so you are uh, providing more shade of the of the ground surface. And that will help to uh, conserve moisture because the ground is not as exposed to direct sun uh, uh, sun radiation, you know, light radiation. Uh, it is protected some from wind. And if folks uh, have noticed, you know, in the last week or so, you know, it's windy and the sun's shining, ground dries out pretty fast, you know, especially yeah. bare ground. Okay, so if you can keep that covered, insulated, you can slow down uh, water loss. And that's true with this grass or whatever the crop may be. Um, another uh, benefit of that is that you are uh, shading the ground. Uh, you've got it covered, so there is less space there for undesirable plants, you know, weeds, if you will, to grow up into that uh, uh, canopy of the grass. So, yeah, mowing on the high side of the uh, recommended mowing height ranges can certainly be an advantage, and especially when uh, con- weather conditions, climatic conditions, uh, start to become uh, uh, not as you know conducive to good growth when you get into the stress period for example tall fescue kentucky bluegrass cool season grasses when we start getting hotter you know in the summer when you start approaching those 90 degrees consistently and you're staying really warm at night then raising your mowing height up that that reduces some of that stress it helps to conserve the water and so on um, 
So you, I'm, I'm glad you found that to be true. Yeah. Uh, but it does work. It, it does make a difference. I know. I've, I've got a, you know, the the cheap Kentucky fescue. Kentucky thirty one. A lot oh. of folks use. It's, here. it's it's there's a lot of Kentucky thirty one tall fescue planted. And do, do you know why Kentucky thirty one is called Kentucky thirty one? I don't. It well, the reason is it was discovered in Kentucky. And it was released into the world as a as a, 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 a seed, as a, a, a variety in 1931. So Kentucky oh. 31 tall fescue. It was a it's a it was a natural select natural discovery, I guess. So it's not something that a plant breeder set out to uh, to develop. Uh, it was found growing on a farm there in um, I forget the county in Kentucky, uh, but uh, uh, anyway, so it was discovered there. And say this grass is a little different the way it grows, the way it persists. Uh, so they started. You know, looking at it and taking taking seed, collecting seeds from it and growing it out and so on. And so, well, this is you know, this is going to be a good grass for us. So yeah, that's that's how it came to be. Kentucky thirty one tall fescue. So, cutting your grass at three point five inches, three point seven five inches, all the way up to four inches, is that about where we should be? So, depending on your species, uh, tall fescue, for example, um, you know, you, the, the the books will tell you. You don't ever want to go lower than, than two inches on tall fescue, uh, and in the in the very best growing conditions, uh, which would be you know spring and fall when you got cooler temperature, adequate moisture to promote the growth of the plant because that's when those cool grasses do their most vigorous growth. Um, that would be the only time I would suggest that you try to maintain it that low. The majority of folks, I think, are going to be better satisfied with the results uh if they will maintain that tall fescue at you know a low cut of three inches you know up to uh higher as the season progresses as conditions change but you know approximately three inches is kind of a good goal to shoot for on tall fescue for kentucky bluegrass it'll tolerate a lower mowing those grasses that 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 spread that creep uh that are sod forming grasses they either spread by rhizomes or stolons or both they tend to, uh, uh, they don't tend to, they can be mown shorter, and typically it improves their quality to do that. Bermuda grass, for example, you know, if your lawn is flat enough, I mean, you can easily maintain um, Bermuda grass in a home lawn at two inches or, or an inch and three quarters, and it'd be very good quality, assuming the yard is flat enough to mow it that short. Because, you know, you, you got a uneven yard you start dropping that mower deck down then you're going to find all the high places because you're scalping them off with the mower blade yeah you know, time and time again so that leaves a very uneven look to it it's hard on the lawn more too um so those, those creeping grasses bermuda grass uh, uh zoysia grass mow them shorter kentucky bluegrass is a cool season grass but it's a creeping grass so it can be typically be mown shorter uh, than tall fescue would. i i know i used to mow mine at around really two to 2.5 inches as, as low as I felt I could, yeah. but since not doing that for at least a year, uh, now mowing at 3.5 inches, it, I also noticed that there is less buildup of, of some of those weedy plants that are mixed it, in with Exactly. That. You're, you're covering the ground. You, you're, you're providing more cover, so there's not as much open space for those weeds to grow in. Just overall, it looks better. It does. It's just better for the plant. And, and you're right, you don't have to mow any faster or any more, any sooner than you would have otherwise. And I think that's a, a mistake that folks will, they'll get in the head, okay, I'm going to cut this stuff off short. That's what and I that way, I, I, can, I don't have to mow it back as fast. But, you know, as long, what, what you're going to do by doing that is you're eventually going to kill it because you're not going to let it uh, uh, 
uh, you're, you're going to take off so much leaf tissue, it has to, the, the plant has to uh, rely on stored energy out of the root system to grow new leaf tissue for a longer period of time. And then you come back and whack it off again so it did not replenish those stores. So you're constantly forcing it to, to take away from the stored energy. And once it depletes that stored energy, it says, the heck with this, you know, I'm gone. And then you start having open spaces, and that's when you get lots of weeds in. So typically those lawns that are mown, you know, consistently lower than they should be uh, are going to have a lot more weed population, a lot more weed pressure in them. And, you you know, it's like you weed eat. You, you weed eat, and it seems like the areas you weed eat, they tend to grow because you cut them down really close. Yeah. They tend to grow back faster than the other areas, you know. So it's it's cutting it down short does not save you any mowing time later on. And then when you cut it short, you're literally throwing out more dead grass you, on top of the live You grass. do, and there's nothing wrong with grass clippings uh, unless you generate uh, enough of a clipping load that uh, it creates a, a, you know, a blanket of clippings solid enough thick enough that it will uh, uh, obstruct sunlight uh, and, and not allow air uh, and, and sunlight to reach the grass plant, which it's got, or any green plant has got to have that sunlight to produce its energy. So, you know, just clippings that aren't, that aren't super thick, that's good. That's that's recycling nutrients out of the plant back into, uh, back into the soil again. That's recycling, putting organic matter back in there. But if you're putting out piles of clippings that are going to be, you know, visible for days and days, uh, from a turf standpoint, from a, from just a grass health standpoint, you're better off to, to rake those up and put them in a compost pile so we'll let them break down. Again with us this morning, Mitchell Moat from the UT TSU Agriculture, well not Agriculture, Extension Service. Agriculture is our business, but it's not <laughs> our name. So. We're going to take a short break, and then we'll come right back. If you have any questions for us this morning, I'd encourage you to text those to us, 615-893-1450. Again, Mitchell Moat in studio today. Time right now, 845. Hi, this is Peter Demas with Demas's Restaurants. One of the places I love to eat out the most and still be able to do so and maintain a healthy weight is at Demas's. You can get those options on the menu online at www.demasrestaurants.com. You can make the decisions that you want to make before you come in. We have options ranging from grilled chicken to fish. You can get it with a side of green beans or spinach or even zucchini. Please have your family join our family for lunch or dinner at Demas's. Listen live to WGNS Radio on our website and Alexa or Google devices. Search WGNS Radio for on-demand podcasts in iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Plus, we have direct links to podcasts at WGNSRadio.com. Hi, this is Tina Fox at the Relaford Farmers Co-op. Come see us for all your spring gardening needs. We have everything you need for your garden, your lawn, have clothing, some of the greatest gift ideas. We also have baby chicks. So please come see us for everything you need for your farm and home needs. The Co-op Farm and Home Center is located at 985 Middle Tennessee Boulevard, just off South Church. This is Tina Fox at the Relaford Farmers Co-op. Come see us for all your spring gardening needs. If you're looking for an authentic relationship with financial experts who genuinely care about your unique needs, Capstar Bank is for you. Capstar Bank is dedicated to the people of this community. Capstar Bank wants to help you reach your financial goals. Because at Capstar Bank, you matter to us. Capstar Bank, 2230 Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. CapstarBank.com, member FDIC, equal housing lender. All sports talk. 
Weekdays at 5. Station. Rutherford County's place to talk. Mitchell Mote in studio with us this morning from the UTTSU Extension Service on John R. Rice Boulevard and uh, the Lane Agri-Park. That is where the Farmer's Market just recently reopened, what, last Friday? May 13th was first day, so tomorrow second Friday of the season. And it's going to happen all the way up till last Friday in October? Through, through October, yeah. Yeah, Tuesday and Friday, 7 to noon each uh, Tuesday and Friday till close, uh, till it closes at the end of October. October's cold. It doesn't feel like a uh, Farmer's Market time of month. Well, you know, sometimes it's pretty darn warm, but uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I hope it's cool in October. It would be uh, more accurate, I think, seasonally accurate uh, if if it were, Uh, but uh, gosh, you know, it seemed October seemed like a long way off, but boy, it it sure goes by fast. And the neat thing about the farmer's market at the Lane Agri Park is that it's a farmer's only market and... It, it's a producer service. market. It's a grower market. Uh, the folks that are selling the things there, they're they're uh, charged with growing and, and you know producing the stuff that they're selling. And and I guess if you are a farmer and you sell at the farmers market, you're opening yourself up to say extension service. Come on out to my place to verify if you want. That, that is true. Uh, you know that's that's part of it. If you are a vendor at the market and you uh, have agreed to uh, you know be open to you know visits to ensure that you know you are growing those potatoes that you're selling there. You are growing the uh, the cucumbers or whatever. You know, I've always, sometimes you would see little roadside stands pop up, somebody selling corn, selling whatever they're selling. Yep. And you always wonder, well, did they buy that from some distributor and they're just turning around reselling it, making it look like they grew it? What's going on there? And the answer is, yeah. I mean, both of those, you know, sometimes, yes, they are growing and sometimes they are buying. You know, down in southern Middle Tennessee, uh, in Lawrence County, uh, there's a large Amish Mennonite population down there. And they grow a lot of vegetables. Uh, they they do. Uh, and, and they sell, uh, you know, all the, the, the little lanes leading back to houses. You'll see hand-lettered signs out there. You know, we have green beans, we have corn, et cetera, and folks. And that's, I'm from there. That's where I grew up. Uh, And on weekends, especially, you know, during the growing season, you would see automobiles, you know, Alabama license plates, because Lawrence County's on the Alabama line, and folks are up there buying those uh, uh, farm fresh vegetables and so on. Well, at some point, someone got the idea, well, heck, we need to have a, uh, we, we, we need to put this together in larger quantities and, and, and sell it to folks so that they can have these roadside stands like you're talking about, yeah. you know. So they started the Plowboy uh, Produce Auction there in Etheridge, Tennessee, and they sell large quantities of these uh, uh, vegetables, uh, and folks would, would purchase those, and then, you know, they go resell them. Yeah. Uh, and so, so, yeah, it does, it does happen. It does take place. Of course, th- that means that some of these roadside stands, I, I mean, they're still selling fresh locally grown they are i mean it could very well been grown within 50 miles of where uh, of where they sit but that doesn't mean that they grew it themselves yeah yeah and to, to, for some people that's more important than it is to others mm-hmm. uh, whether you know you're buying it from the person that grew it uh, or or not and i guess one reason why it's important to some folks i guess they want to know they want to be able to ask well what did you use to fertilize with what did you any chemicals used on you know your your field stuff like that i don't know and scott i would dare say 
that there's not any food produced that we consume, uh, organic or otherwise, that does not have, you know, a, a chemical applied to it of some sort. Uh, and that's, <clears throat> I think that's a misconception that people sometimes have regarding organic foods. Uh, they, there are approved chemicals for organic food production. Uh, so they, they, they will all have had some chemical applied at some point or another uh, in, the, in the production cycle. It's kind of like, uh, you know, you're, you're somebody telling you, don't read the label of what you're eating, just eat it and enjoy it. Oh, and I think it's good for people to have knowledge and to be informed <laughs> about things. So, sure, read the label. But, uh, you know, what was the deal about hot dogs? You don't ever want to see hot dogs That's being right. made. So, so, you know what? I've never had any desire to watch hot dogs being made. I like hot dogs. They're fine. Uh, um yeah, so just go with some, sometimes ignorance is bliss, I guess. But but it's it's uh, it's always good to you know have some knowledge about about what you're putting in your mouth. I I agree, I agree with that, and it, it, it's good for people to be informed. But uh, uh, and if you choose organic, then then good. That's a, that's 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 a good decision to make. You know, just just do it for the right reason. But don't don't choose it because well, you know these these foods have never had any pesticides applied. Well, yes, they have. Uh, very likely they have. Otherwise, you're going to have cabbage uh, full of, uh, uh, you know, cabbage worms. You're going to have broccoli with worms in it, so on. So, and, and there are, you know, organ- approved organic pesticides uh, uh, to, to kill those things. Got a couple of questions, and I know you wanted to touch base on the army worms. Yeah. So that, that was a question. You know, last year was the largest outbreak of army worms that most of us have ever seen. Uh, and it started in July, I guess, uh, uh, kind of early in July for uh, for us. Uh, these things started showing up and really causing damage in home lawns because they are uh, uh, they, they feed on grass uh, blades, grass stems, and so in a, uh, in a couple of weeks' time, they can really do a lot of damage, decimate a yard, uh, what was once a nice green, lush lawn, you know, now brown, uh, a very patchy, uh, uh, kind of sick, pitiful-looking piece of ground out there. And so uh, folks that went through the experience last year are asking, should I be doing something now to prevent army worms? Uh, well, the, and the answer is n- no. Uh, you, 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 I mean, you can't prevent them, okay? Number one is that they don't, they don't live here uh, in Tennessee. They are uh, uh, a seasonal pest that they, they overwinter further south uh, from us in the United States, and, and they are introduced, they, they come back, uh, move their way northward every year uh, as uh, they're so th- it's a worms it's a caterpillar so that's the you know the larval stage of a moth and so the the, the moths uh, when when these uh, overwintering pupa down in the southern parts of the United States when they hatch in the spring of the year they start new uh, uh, new new populations new generations the the adult moths are carried on wind currents you know storms etc uh, will blow them further north and so at some point you know they reach here in our part of the world and that's typically you know later in the summer uh july uh maybe even early part of august last year they got here earlier than, than typical um so you know you, there's nothing you can put out there now that's going to keep them from blowing back in here you know they, now are, are we going to have army worms like we saw last year well, if I had to bet, I would say no, because we'd never seen them like that before. So, I mean, the odds are we're going to have them multiple years in a row like that. Well, I don't know, but I, I don't know if we will or not. But, uh, you know, my, just based on 
previous history and so on, I would say no, but we, we might. Uh, what you have to do if you're going to protect against army worms is uh, uh, there will be um, uh, folks monitor these things. You know, when 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 they, they start showing up in there, they're monitoring traps, and the word will go out. Okay, you know, we start to see the first flights of army worm moths. You know, returning into Tennessee. Uh, you know, you just kind of start watching for that information, and then you start scouting in your own yard. You know, looking for evidence that an army worm is there. Uh, and and when you see such evidence, then if you choose to treat it, to that point you do it before a lot of the major damage occurs. But they're not here yet. Uh, and, and folks are saying, "Oh, I need to get my yard treated for army worms." No, it would be a waste of uh, material. Be a waste of money uh, to do that right now. So, what do these army worms look like? Do they look like earthworms? No, they're they're, they're caterpillars. They're dark colored. They have alternating dark and light colored stripes. Uh, 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 well, you know, relatively light. They're kind of a grayish green, dark color. Uh, they have a, a a a shiny brown head, if you will, with kind of a a net like pattern uh, of uh, uh, well, it's. it's a net pattern on the on, on their hard shiny head and they start off very small and they they spend about two weeks or so as this 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 caterpillar this larva before they go back before they go into the ground and pupate and then emerge as an adult moth and start to cycle all over again and when they're young they're very hard to see because they are so tiny and it takes them again about two weeks to go through their their, their larval stage from the time they hatch out and become a larva and start eating on the grass. It's in the last couple of days that they do the most damage because that's when they grow the most and that's when they consume the most food. Uh, easy way to scout for them is, uh, you know, you take a, a, a big bucket, you know, a couple of gallons of water, uh, put a little dishwashing liquid in there and go out to areas uh, especially and just slowly pour it uh, down on the ground. If there are insects in there, army worms, etc., that's going to flush them to the surface and you can see them. And so if you find them, then you know that I've got bugs here to treat. Interesting. Uh, again, with us this morning, Mitchell Moat from the UTTSU Extension Service. A text question here. My yard is made up of mostly dandelions and clovers. What can I do to get rid of and seed for good grass covering for possibly good grass covering is what they're looking for for possibly the next season? Okay. So if... Uh uh, if if they it sounds like the the, the majority of the yard is, is is weeds broadleaf weeds uh, dandelions and what else did they say dandelions and clover dandelions and clover uh, and some folks like clover you know but but if you don't if you want a pure grass stand uh, then probably you are a candidate for what would be called a total renovation uh, and if you know, if your goal is to have a cool season grass, uh, which is the dominant grass that we grow here, tall fescue, um, in, say, August, you know, mid-August, you would kill the existing vegetation out there. Uh, and you do that with, a, you know, with an herbicide product. A non-selective herbicide is going to kill uh, any, any, any grasses that are in there. Okay, because if you're mostly weeds, you don't have enough grass to try to save. Uh, and will also kill the broadleaf weeds, the, the clover, and the dandelions. Um, and so you get it cleaned up in preparation of planting your desirable grass, uh, you know, in, in September. Uh, and so that would be that would be kind of a time frame you're looking at. So you would do the uh, you know would start the, the the existing plant removal process uh, in August, and that that's something that you know 
I mean, there's more to it than just, you know, you're going to kill it and plant more stuff. I mean, you go through the steps and would certainly be glad to talk with you about that at, uh, at length. If you wanted to uh, give us a call at the extension office at 615-898-7710, uh, you can send an email and we can, we can ca- uh, carry on conversation that way. Uh, my email address is mmote one at utk.edu or stop by uh, during office hours we're at 315 john rice boulevard suite 101 uh, 8 to 4 30 monday through friday sounds good and of course we'll post all that information with this podcast in just a second on wgnsradio.com and as always we appreciate you listening this morning you're listening to wgns murfreesboro time right now nine o'clock <music>